Alhamdulillah, we reach this Mubarak uh, 10th night of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us from its Fatih and from its Fayl and from its Nur and from its Barakah and from its Rahmah. Rabbana, la tuzih qulubana ba'da idh hadaytana wa hablana min ladunka rahmatan innaka anta wahhab. Our Lord, do not harden our hearts after you've guided us and gift to us. Uh, from your mercy, a mercy. Indeed, you're the one who gives gifts. So we're continuing with the uh, look at the life of Mulana Shaykh al-Islam, Sayyid Hussein Ahmad Madani, rahimahullah tabarak wa ta'ala. And uh, one of the brothers, he texted me the other day. He said, wow, you're giving a lot of attention to uh, Mulana Hussein Ahmad Madani. I said he gave a lot of attention to me. And so the brother said, how so? I said, I graduated from the Jamia Madaniya and my Shaykh Mulana Abdul Halim Chishti rahimahullah ta'ala was his, uh, was his disciple before uh, that of any of the other mashaykh. And uh, all of the mashaykh I read from the Indian subcontinent, they were either his direct students or the students of his students. And uh, I think it's important, it's important, you know, I don't think it's good that, you know, some people, they, they wax and push their own teachers as a way of saying, uh, you know, look how important my teachers were, as a way of saying, look how important I am. And uh, I have no such, I have no such uh, uh, courage inside of me to say that, because it's clear when you read about those people that they're very different people than we are. Uh, that they're very different people than I am. And uh, um, it's very clear that this is a nisbah that uh, I'm not worthy of. And chances are you aren't either. So, you know, let's sit together, a bunch of broken losers, and uh, see if we can't gain and benefit from looking at those people who Wallahu uh, alam and Allah knows best Let's sit and see if we can't learn and benefit from those people who seem to have made it so that we can also uh, rectify something of our lives. Uh, otherwise, <coughs> this is uh, important for me because sometimes the more distant mashaykh that lived in pre-modern times, um, one can tell that oneself that, oh, look, they lived in uh, a different time and there was no technology and there was, you know, the Muslim world was ascendant and uh, you know there was no this and there's no that and how could we ever be like them and so it's it's useful it's instructional to talk about those mashaykh who are closer to us in time because a it allows us to understand a little bit more about why the world around us is the way it is and how the muslim world got from where it was to where it is right now and how we should deal with and how we need to cope with the challenges in the world around us um, and this is actually one of the, the, the points I believe is very stellar and very uh, exemplary uh, about the, the virtues of the ulama of Deoband 
that they were people who understood modernity when modernity, its uh, attack first uh, broke on the shores of the Indian subcontinent. They saw it, they understood its philosophical underpinnings, and they prepared for it, and they launched a counterattack. And many people nowadays look at the ulama and the Indian subcontinent in general and think, wow, these guys are just like a bunch of backwards people. They don't dress like us, they don't eat like us, they look like you know, they're medieval people, i.e. they have beards, uh, i.e. they keep their traditional dress, i.e. they still preserve some semblance of the outward sunnah which used to be ubiquitous throughout the ummah. And the reason for that is because they were the ones who were hip to the understanding of the philosophical challenges of modernity before anybody else was, and they're the ones who did the most to prepare for it, or from amongst those who did the most to prepare for it. Whereas uh, many of the mashayikh and many of the Muslims in the Arab lands or, or in other parts of the Muslim world were basically caught unawares <coughs> and caught unprepared. This is not to say that the ulama of Deoband have knowledge and other people don't. Everybody has the ilm, but this is more of a sociological phenomenon that they seem to have prepared one of the more successful, uh, one of the more successful uh, bids to confront materialism and modernity, modernism. Not modernity as in using technology or knowing about science, but modernity in the idea that the entire world is just material and, uh, um, you know, there's no, what you see is what you get and there's no reality out there other than random accidental uh, movements of subatomic particles that sum up into, you know, the phenomena that you and I see. Um, that they seem to have met it head on and most effectively. And it's important for us to... To, to see and understand what that is. And so there is a couple of points about the biography of the Sheikh that I wanted to go back and fill in. Because this work by Mulana Bayezid Pandor, who uh, seems to have stayed in the khidmat of Sheikh al-Islam, Hazrat Mulana Hussein Ahmed Madani, for quite some time, it's more of a day-to-day -day vignette type of look. But there's some biographical details I wanted to fill in from having read the Asirani Malta of Mawlana Muhammad Mia Rahimahullah and other biographical works on the life of Mawlana Hussein Ahmad Madani Rahimahullah. One question that uh, was not explained in, in great detail is how did they end up in Medina Munawwara first? And <coughs> the answer to that is the father of Mawlana Hussein Ahmad Madani, uh, um, a, a pious and Nurani elder by the name of Sayyid Ahmad, who was not a, who was not a uh, uh, alim in the traditional sense, but he was a very pious and righteous man from the uh, family of the Prophet He was connected with uh, the Sheikh Mulana Fazlur Rahman Ganj Muradabadi. Ganj Muradabad is a, a, a city in UP, and Mulana Fazlur Rahman is uh, it was one of the great muhaddithin and one of the great ulama of uh, of that place, of that place. And so, Mawlana um, Fadlur Rahman, uh, 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 he was the sheikh of Sayyid Ahmad, the father of Mawlana Hussein Ahmad Madani. And as is with the Ahlullah, that the love of the awliya is itself a, a type of piety, and the love of your shaykh, because the shaykh is the conduit through which Allah Ta'ala gives the fuyud and gives the, the pouring of 
the outpouring of, of spiritual grace um, by which a person receives their fath and they receive their openings. So the relationship between the student and the, the teacher or the disciple and the sheikh is a very close one and it's a very strong one and uh, <clears throat> in some cases it becomes uh, uh, synonymous with life itself uh, as is the case uh, with many of the mashayikh when they would pass away it would affect the, 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 the disciples especially those who are more closely tied with the mashayikh and who are not uh, able to uh, imagine a, a life without them that it would affect them in severe ways and so we see that uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, look how the, the passing of the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa affected him, that it caused him to temporarily uh, 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 lose, his, uh, uh, lose his ability to function. And uh, Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, she actually uh, becomes ill and she never reco recovers from her illness uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha. At any rate, uh, the same thing they say about Mulana, uh, uh, the Shaykh uh, Khaja Nizamuddin Awliya, uh, uh, the great wali of, uh, of uh, Dili, that his closest disciple, uh, Amir Khusro, Khusro Dehlavi, for those of you who are connoisseurs of Persian poetry, um, that, uh, that, that Amir Khusro literally, when he heard the news, he was out uh, on, uh, on, on trade. And when he came back to Dili, his, the caravan came back and he heard the news of his sheikhs passing he literally went and laid down next to the grave of the sheikh and passed away and uh, apparently you can visit both of them in Nizamuddin across from the uh, Tablih Markaz in Delhi uh, to this day so uh, what happened was Mulana Fadlur Rahman Ganj Muradabadi when he passed away uh, Sayyid Ahmed the father of Mulana Hussein Ahmed Madani he went through a, a type of tribulation that uh, rendered his body uh, completely unable to function and he started to waste away. And they went to the different ulama to see what, you know, what treatment there could be for his condition. And uh, he was essentially told that the only, the only you know, thing that can fight this depression that has set in uh, because of your having lost your sheikh is that you just leave everything and go to Medina Munawwara. And the nur of being next to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the only thing that will suffice you, uh, um, and will will be able to uh, distract you enough from the the catastrophe of the loss that you're feeling right now. So he gathered his sons together, and he said something very interesting. He said that I'm going, and I'm making the knee of hijra that I'm going to leave my home and I'm going to go to Medina Munawwara and I'm never coming back. He said, however, the, the intention of hijra is a very heavy one and Allah Ta'ala will test, will test a man who uh, 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 makes this intention to see if the intention is solid or if a person is just, uh, you know, talking big words. And this was a test that the companions عنهم, had to go through as well. And so he says, my, my advice to you is that you don't make this intention. Just make the intention of coming with me to Medina Munawwara and uh, you don't make this intention of hijra. And this is why Mu'ana Hussein Ahmad Madani rahimahullah ta'ala, he, he would tell people that don't call me Madani. Um, because I just went, I accompanied my father to Medina Munawwara. However, his father, he, he went to Medina Munawwara and Allah ta'ala tested them. Uh, that was the age during which 
the uh, caliphate had fallen and Medina Munawwara was sieged disgracefully by the British for nearly four years to the point where the inhabitants of the noble city of the Prophet were starved and they uh, had to eat things like leather and grass and insects and uh, even to the point where some people had to eat the bodies of those who passed away merely in order to survive and which is a crime uh, unlike any other crime uh, and it's a crime that answer will have to be given for not only by the British but by their feckless allies from amongst the Muslims who betrayed the caliphate. Uh, which brings us to another important part of another important part of the, the story of Mawlana Hussein Ahmed Madani's life which is glossed over which is that he graduated from Deoband and he uh, made trips back to India during the years that he was resident in Medina Munawwara and during those trips he received the, the Khilafah from his Sheikh Mawlana Rashid Ahmad Gangohi, one of the founders of Deoband um, and uh, he also had connection with um, he had connection with his uh, uh, other teachers, Moana Sheikh Al-Hind, who he considered to be his, uh, you know, his, his master and from whom he received the majority of his uh, training, both, both spiritual and, and intellectual. So during this time, the ulama of Deoband, it was their, it was their, their hum, it was their worry and concern that uh, our homeland should be free and that we should not be enslaved uh, by foreigners and that the Sharia should be uh, the law of the land and it should re regain its supremacy over uh, our people and they worked hard they worked hard in order to uh, prepare people to fight and resist uh, the colonial overseers and to prepare people who would be able to uh, function as the ones who uh, are the custodians of society and to that end they also and this is something that it's very interesting because the dynamics of the Indian subcontinent um, <coughs> they're very interesting Pakistan the Pakistani identity which I was raised in even though I was born in America but I was raised being told I'm a Pakistani the Pakistani identity has its own uh, sort of feeling of self-superiority um, that look, we made hijra and we left the land of kufr, i.e. India. Uh, but uh, one of the things that as Pakistanis we never really think about or never thought about, which is that no, none of it was the land of kufr, all of it was ruled by our forefathers. All of it was ruled by the Turks and by the Afghans and by the Batans and by the Mughals and by the um, Arabs and uh, by the different uh, princes, Nawabs in many places like the Nawab of, uh, of Bahawalpur and the Khan of Kalat. Uh, and the Nawab of uh, uh, Bhopal and the Nizam of Hyderabad, all of these major places, right? The, 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 the Nawabs that ruled over Bengal, etc., Awad, uh, Agra, all these places, that these were by and large the major centers of population and of revenue and of culture in the Indian subcontinent, and they're all run, ruled by Muslims. And so, the ulama of Deoband are the <coughs> khulafa both in the tariqah as well as in the sanad of the hadith of the Prophet wasallam of, of the waliullahi line. So uh, the waliullahi line and the, the sarhandi line, the sarhandi line of uh, Mujaddid al-Thani, Sheikh Ahmed Sarhandi, 
um, and many of the mashaykh of the of the Sarhandi line actually were, were ministers of state, like Mirza Mazhar Jani Janan. Uh, they were m- ministers of the Mughal court, uh, uh, and the same thing with the Waliullahi line, that Shah Waliullah as well as his father Shah Abdul Rahim, they were also people who had uh, uh, that had uh, hereditary positions in the Mughal court. So they actually functioned in state. They were not just losers who hung out on the side and said, oh, look, all the ulama are sellouts and like, you know, caliphate, caliphate, and they don't have enough know-how to even manage a blockbuster video around the corner. Uh, They were actually people who the reins of state were in their hands. And so who were the the founders of Deoband? The founders of Deoband were Mulana Qasim Nanoti, Mulana Rashid Ahmed Gangohi. They were the students of uh, Shah Abdul Ghani Al-Mujaddidi. That's the connection to the uh, Sarhandi line. And uh, uh, Shah Ishaq, uh, uh, who is the grandson of Shah Waliullah, the son of Shah Abdul Aziz, that's the Waliullahi line. That these people were, not only were they the preservation of the uh, Sunni, Hanafi uh, uh, tradition of, of state rule and statecraft, in the Mughal Empire, but they also politically, they understood how the state was supposed to work. So they looked at the state as being theirs and no part of the subcontinent belonged to anybody else. And they looked at their Hindu and their Sikh and their Jain and Buddhist uh, neighbors and said, these are our ra'iyya, our forefathers used to uh, serve them. Our forefathers used to give them protection. Our forefathers gave them a place in society. We used to send food to their houses. We used to console our neighbors when they were ill and when they were sick. It was not a supremacy of like putting people down, but saying that, that these are people, we have a responsibility to defend them and save them against, uh, save them from British colonialism. Because in Mughal rule, yes, fine. If you were a non-Muslim, maybe you wouldn't, uh, you know, you would face certain ter- types of things that we would consider discrimination nowadays in the kind of modern woke identitarian politics uh, kind of point of view. Um, however, when compared to how the British treated them, uh, that the British, they literally treated uh, uh, Indians as second-class citizens in the law, and people were killed, and people were uh, subjected to torture and the confiscation of property um, with zero due process whatsoever. If you think the American colonists were upset about taxation without representation, then think about the Weavers' Union in Bengal, uh, that the British literally uh, gathered them all together one day and cut all of their thumbs in order to uh, enforce a monopoly for British mechanically manufactured textiles, which were substandard compared to what the uh, uh, skilled weavers of Bengal could make with their hands. Um, you know, then you see that that they were essentially treated like dogs. And uh, anyone who will try to say, oh, well, the British brought railways and this and that to India, and they did some good. The only reason they brought the railways is not so that Indian people can travel from one place to another with ease. The only reason they brought the railways is so that they can transport their troops and they can transport those raw materials that they stole from the land uh, to port and take them to British factories to be made into finished goods that can be sold uh, 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 at extortionate prices given that they basically robbed the raw materials they're made out of for free. And our Mashai, they felt a responsibility that, look, our neighbors are Hindus and our neighbors are Sikhs and they're Jains and they're Buddhists. They may not be Muslims. And we may have strident, strident differences of opinion with regards to religion with them. However, there are many things in culture that, that we share in common and we share a language in common and they respected 
us. They respected the deen. In those days, every educated Hindu knew Persian. Every educated Hindu, you know, knew Urdu. Every educated Hindu at least understood how to observe etiquette uh, with, uh, with Muslim people. And they were a part of that civilization, even though they were not part of that deen. And at the very basic minimum, they were human beings and they didn't deserve to be treated like slaves. And uh, that's why they were able to work together. And I'm not saying necessarily that Sheikh uh, Mulana Hussein Ahmed Madani's politics that were uh, not in favor of establishing Pakistan were wrong or right. Whatever happened, happened. It's done. It's done. It's like a moot point to argue about. However, what I'm explaining is that he also wasn't a person who was just a sellout or whatever as some acrid, uh, uh, blind and fanatical uh, political uh, uh, advocates of uh, you know whatever Pakistan uh, nationalism may say uh, rather he actually had a very solid uh, philosophical basis from which he came and that was based in the Kitab and Sunnah and it was based in solid politics as well and uh, it should be respected even if a person does not agree with it and so what happened was the Sheikh al-Hind he came to Hijaz uh, uh, while his student was in uh, Medina Munawwara, and this is the story of how uh, Mulana Madani left Medina Munawwara. That uh, Sheikh al-Hind came and it was uh, part of what they called the Tahrik uh, Reshmi Rumal, or as the uh, British uh, would label it slightly more dimly, the Silk Letter Conspiracy. And what the Silk Letter Conspiracy was, was that uh, Sheikh al-Hind had basically gone and spoken to the leaders of different parts of the, uh, the different parts of the Indian subcontinent, leaders of the Muslim community, of the Hindu community, of uh, different minority communities. And he had made a pact with them in secret that if the Ottoman Empire were to attack uh, the British to dislodge their colonial uh, uh, office from uh, our homeland, um, that they would recognize Ottoman suzerainty uh, over them and uh, they would aid uh, the Ottomans and, and come to their assistance in, in fighting the British. The idea is what is that the Ottomans are also Turks like the Mughals were Turks and the Mughals respected uh, and gave full citizenship to all of the inhabitants of India and uh, a number of Hindu and Sikh leaders as well as a number of Muslim leaders uh, acceded to this, uh, to this strategy and to this plan uh, as well as a number of uh, Muslim leaders who were, uh, I guess, uh, uh, more happy to uh, sell, sell their homeland out, um, were against it. But it was a, a conspiracy, it was a secret plan that was hatched. Uh, the British had their intelligence uh, in Deoband, in, in all sorts of different places, listening. And what happened was that the plan was about to come to fruition, and uh, uh, Sheikh al-Hind basically uh, uh, made it out of uh, made it out of India on the way of uh, on the on the pretense of going to Hajj, pretext of going to Hajj, and uh, uh, the British realized what was happening, that he's going now to take this plan to pitch this plan to the Ottoman authorities, and um, they sent a, a, a notice out for his arrest, and uh, he got away. He got away. Uh, he sailed from I believe Bombay, from the port uh, for Hijaz. The notice to arrest him. Uh, made it to uh, uh, made it to Aden in Yemen uh, ahead of his arrival, and he he somehow was able to smuggle away as well and make it to the Ottoman lands. The reason they call it the Silk Letter conspiracy is because 
um, the, uh, the silk, uh, the silk uh, letter conspiracy was because this pact which was written that was circulated to all of these different uh, leaders, um, this pact was obviously had to be hidden because if the, the letter gets in the wrong hands, then it's going to be a death sentence to all of its signatories. Um, the British were notorious for their cruelty uh, to anybody who, uh, anybody who resisted their uh, colonial rule. And so their solution was that a, a, a woman, a servant girl, would basically um, braid the, the letter up in her hair and uh, um, then cover her head with a, a, a silk ramal, with a silk-like uh, um, piece of cloth. And that's how this letter made it around and made the, got its signatures in order to be smuggled out of, uh, uh, of the Indian subcontinent to make it Hijaz. And Mulan Sheikh al Hind, he went to his disciple who was teaching hadith in, in, in Medina Munawwara, Mulan Hussein Ahmed Madani, and he told him, this is what's going on, you're a local, I need you to get me audience with the, uh, the governor, the Ottoman governor of Medina Munawwara. And so... Um, he did, and uh, the Ottoman governor um, then heard, uh, uh, heard what he had to say, and he said, okay, now go, go and uh, uh, visit the Ottoman governor of Makkah Mukarramah, and he'll arrange with you, uh, uh, arrange for you uh, transportation to Istanbul so that, that you can uh, have audience with the Sultan. The, 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 the governor of Medina Munawara gave him the gave him the, 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 the seal so that he could pass and enter into the palace and present his case to the Sultan in, in Istanbul. And uh, um, um, what happens is that he sends him, to, sends him to the governor of Makkah Mukarramah to arrange for conveyance to Istanbul. Uh, being summer, the governor of Makkah Mukarramah at that time was in Ta'if. So they had to go from there to Ta'if and uh, wait. In the meanwhile, the uh, Sharif uh, uh, Hussein uh, of Mecca, uh, in uh, league with the British, rebelled against the uh, Ottoman garrison. And uh, after some days, basically, they uh, um, overthrew uh, uh, the Ottoman garrison in Mecca Mukarramah and in, in, in uh, Jeddah and Mecca and Ta'if. And uh, the British, uh, who were essentially their sponsors, they... Uh, they, they sought the arrest of uh, Mulan Sheikh al-Hind. And so Mulan Hussein Ahmed Madani, seeing his elderly Sheikh being arrested, even though he had connections uh, in Hijaz that could get him out of uh, uh, arrest, he um, basically elected to stay with his Sheikh, who was elderly, in order to protect him and serve him uh, while, he was, uh, while he was in custody. And so what ended up happening was they they arrested the two of them and they took them essentially in chains and sent them to Malta. Malta is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, uh, some ways between Libya and between Italy. And in Malta, uh, uh, basically the two of them were in confinement and that's where the elite prisoners of the British Empire were kept. And so for nearly four years in confinement in Malta, uh, they were held there uh, until uh, politically uh, it was untenable for them to be held there anymore, and then they were sent back to um, sent back to the Indian subcontinent. And uh, uh, at that time, India was not going to be held on for for much longer. The decision had been made that uh, it, you know there would be devolution of power over there, 
uh, in no small part because of the destruction that was wreaked on uh, on Europe uh, during World War II. It made uh, keeping these vast colonial empires uh, untenable uh, anymore. And so they, uh, uh, they, they went back home. Hazrat Sheikh al-Hind uh, didn't live for a whole lot longer after that. And uh, Mulan Hussein Ahmed Madani uh, basically was asked by Sheikh al-Hind to stay uh, back in India and to uh, carry on this work of bringing the people to freedom and guiding them to uh, something better, uh, both in terms of their ilm and their deen, and as well as some political leadership that's based in the principles of deen, which seem to be uh, something that the ummah has by and large turned its back on, and that, that there are not many people doing. A lot of people talk about it, but when it comes practically to getting into the trenches and doing the work, there are not a whole lot of people who, who do that work. It's said that during the time in Malta, <coughs> because of the advanced age and the frailty of Sheikh al-Hind's uh, um, body, that uh, Mulana Hussein Ahmed Madani, he would keep the pot, the pot of water <coughs> which Sheikh, Sheikh al-Hind would make wudu from, he would basically embrace it and sleep with it in his embrace so that uh, when the, his Sheikh would wake up, and make wudu, the water would be warm because it was very cold uh, in the nights in Malta. And uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, from the great amount of veneration that the uh, disciple showed for his sheikh. And it's in that, uh, it's in that mode that I wanted to share one last vignette uh, from the sheikh's life, uh, uh, for tonight at least, from Mulana Bayezid Pandor's uh, book, and tell what the connection is between these two things. Manner of upbringing. The Sheikh would keep a strict eye on his disciples. In front of friends uh, and disciples of other Mashaikh, the Sheikh would behave without any formality. But in front of his disciples and students, his authority would be displayed. Disciples would to a certain extent tremble in front of the Sheikh. Forget about speaking, none had even the courage to present their request on paper themselves. Uh, meaning they were afraid that uh, if the request was not considered good from the sheikh, they were afraid of incurring the sheikh's displeasure. The disciples would introduce themselves through the medium of those who were close to the sheikh. However, if one had to get the opportunity to be with the sheikh in private, he would be left astonished at the amount of compassion and sympathy that the sheikh would display to him. It would seem as if a great mighty king was passing uh, his hand over one of his subjects' heads. Indeed, the Shaykh was a sign amongst the signs of Allah Ta'ala on the earth, an embodiment of mercy, love, and compassion in front of his friends, and a flame of fire against his enemies. As if to say, at one time he would be a sword-wielding sword warrior, and at another time he would be carrying a goblet of sweet drink in his hand. Once during Ramadan, a friend wished to say something to the Shaykh, but could not find the courage. Finally, he managed to build up the courage and uh, approached the Shaykh. The Shaykh asked him, why didn't you come to me with this uh, request before? The man replied, fear prevented me. Uh, uh, the Shaykh replied, what is there, a sword in my hand? What reason is there to fear me? The man remained silent. Uh, Mulana Bayezid mentions, he says, I said to myself, with such awe, who needs a sword? And the relevance of this to what we just mentioned is that the, the, the one who showed so much respect and so much reverence for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala puts that ru'ab inside of them, Allah ta'ala puts that awe inside of them as well, 
that uh, that person who treated his own teachers with so much reverence and so much respect and was so afraid of doing anything to uh, offend them, uh, that that person also then, uh, Allah Ta'ala, puts uh, the respect and the fear into people uh, of, of him so that they also would be, uh, so that they also would be listened to. And, uh, you know, Mulana uh, Abdul Halim Chishti, my Shaykh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he would say to me, he says that the amount of reverence that the Shaykh used to display for the deen, it was just out of this world. He said that, I remember in Deoband, we would take the dars of hadith of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam sometimes two, three hours straight. He said, from the time the uh, Sahih Bukhari book would open in front of the Shaykh until the time it would close, I never saw him fidget, nor did I see him... Uh, 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 lay on his side or take rest or lean against something or uh, rearrange you know how when you're sitting for a long time you got to kind of stretch your legs or rearrange the way you're sitting he said I never saw him move left or right that he would sit um, with his back straight the entire time uh, as long as the book of hadith was open and this was nothing but his awe and reverence for the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it said that imam malik rahimahullah ta'ala this is the exact mode that he would also be in when uh, the hadith of the Rasul was read that the color would drain from his face and he would be in awe the entire time in conformance with the custom of the muhaddithin that when the hadith of the Prophet is read with an unbroken chain of transmission that you sit and listen as if you're hearing from Rasulullah yourself. And uh, this is something, mashallah, even if you're a sheikh of tariqah or if you're not, or if you're a muhaddith or you're not, this is something all of us can do is at least show this type of reverence and awe, not only to the Ahlullah, but also to the hadith of the Prophet wasallam when it's being read, also to the Quran when it's being read, instead of making it like your phone ringer, buzzer, alarm when you wake up and the adhan like app on your phone going off and it's like Allahu Akbar and you just like cut it off in the middle uh, of the divine name. Uh, or the, the, the sifat of uh, uh, sifat aliyah of Allah Ta'ala uh, that you show reverence and awe to them uh, like Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Hajj ذَلِكَ وَمَنْ يُعَظِّمُ شَعَائِرَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ تَقْوَ الْقُلُوبِ in such a matter, in such a manner I should say uh, um, the one who shows reverence and magnifies the symbols and the signs of Allah Ta'ala uh, they do so uh, for no reason except for because the fear of Allah Ta'ala within the hearts. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us this reality. Allah Ta'ala give us this taqwa. Allah Ta'ala give us to benefit from the shade of our elders over our heads. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala give us to benefit from the wilaya of the awliya and the struggles of those who came from before us and give us the tawfiq to carry out and embody their struggles as well. Or at least not to betray them. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.